Hi, welcome to Scattered. We're a group of friends from the same church who are serving God in different countries and we're meeting online to chat through books of the Bible, chapter by chapter. We'd love you to join us. Hi everybody, welcome to Scattered. We are in the Gospel of Luke again this week. We're still following Uncover, which is a kind of Bible study series especially aimed for people who are new to the Bible and kind of seeking uh, what Christianity might be all about. And we're in chapter 15 today, verses 11 to 31. And I've got Jill and Juliet with me. And Helen is also here, but she's silent because she's at an airport and we don't want all her extra sound. I feel like we're um, having a bit of a like inspection. It feels like Ofsted are here because Helen's like yeah. silently observing. <laughs> She's gone from uh, Hermione to Professor Umbridge and she's there. <laughs> she's not enjoying that, but she can't say anything. This is brilliant. She can't say anything. Yeah, it's lovely. Cool. So can anyone summarize for us where we're up to in Luke? Because obviously last week we were a few chapters earlier in the book. So has anyone got a pithy summary for us i guess we've turned in luke lots of the gospels do this don't they the first half of the gospel is slightly different to the second half and we're now in the second half of luke's gospel and there's been a turn for jesus towards jerusalem so he's heading to jerusalem he's heading to his death and we're in a section here where there's been lots of teaching from jesus um around what faith is um who's in and out like we've seen every week so far but yeah, we're in a, a, especially I would say a teaching section where Jesus is being judged quite harshly by the religious elite of the day. Um, and I, yeah, I read a really helpful commentary saying it was really important that he went to Jerusalem because that was where people, the people were that knew the most about God, supposedly. And yet that was where they killed him. And so it's it's a really significant thing, isn't it, that Jesus sets his face to Jerusalem. So at that by this point in the gospel, he's on that journey. Mm, cool. Because the actual passage that Uncover gives us is the first couple of verses of chapter 15, which says that the tax collectors and sinners are all gathering around to hear Jesus and also, but the um, Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered. So there's kind of a mixed gathering to hear this parable um, which starts in verse 11. Um, my Bible calls it the parable of the lost son. Other, I think it's better known as the prodigal son. Can anyone just give us a quick summary of the story that Jesus tells? Yeah, sure. So um, there's two sons um, of this wealthy father and one, the younger son, asks for his inheritance, which is basically a third of the property and everything he owns. This younger son goes on to spend it all and doesn't have anything and he's ending up um, being a slave and feeding pigs. And so he decides actually it's better to go back home to his father's house where the slaves and servants are treated better. And so he prepares an apology and um, sets off on his way to his father. But his father is waiting for him and runs out to meet him and welcomes him back home as as a son as a member of the family and then the older brother reacts badly to this thanks julia so the uncover notes especially want us to think about forgiveness this week and kind of what it feels like to want someone's forgiveness how why can this need feel so intense i mean obviously in this story the son 
seeks his father's forgive- forgiveness. Well, I think it's quite unsettling, isn't it? When you're, you feel like you're owing someone and mm. you feel like you've done something super, super bad. And I think it's very intense, isn't it? And it probably can lead to um, being unable to sleep just because you know yeah. there's this barrier between you and another person or yeah i guess it's interesting isn't it in this parable because the younger son is he's just desperate isn't it he like he does turn back towards his father but i don't know how clear we are about his motives in that he just is so desperate that he thinks well i'm sure my dad will help me out Mm. because what has he done like what Obviously, this son has gone and taken his some money from his dad, a chunk of money from his dad. And I mean, I think in our, I guess, p- potentially it's less shocking to us. But why would it have been so shocking to the original audience of this story, what the son does to his father? I guess what he said to his father, isn't it, that he wants him dead? Because actually the time that he should receive this inheritance is when the father dies. And so what he's saying to his dad is... I want the money, but I don't want you. And so it's a really strong relational breakdown statement, isn't it? That I'd mm. rather have your stuff, dad, but I don't want you and I'm leaving and I'm leaving. I don't think we understand do we, the whole idea of the farm and the family land and everything that, um, yeah, the father's worked for. He just wants the cash. And that mm. probably would have meant that the dad would have had to sell some of his land and break up his estate in order to do that at this point in whilst he's still alive yeah and it's quite shameful isn't it for the father he would have lost a lot of i don't know if loss of faces <laughs> um something that well where we are living that's very very important and mm. i think also in middle eastern culture that would have been very important because the community around would have seen what the son has done and what the father has agreed to do and seen it as wow this is such a shameful thing for the family i think it's Mm. also so shocking what the father does because the Mm. father wouldn't need to agree to his father his son's request Mm. you know he 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 is in his own right to say no you just you know he could have cast him out but the father is so gentle and he actually gives him what he asks Mm. and I guess with the hope of that he might return again it's it's so mm. such a shocking thing that the father does that and um yeah it's a big cost yeah. to him and yeah. yeah I guess that's um like we've seen all the way through Jesus is trying to teach isn't he through this parable and so actually that he's trying to redefine for them what God the father is like isn't he and mm. I guess we see a picture of that here that he doesn't um, enforce his view and this guy does you know he does make a massive sacrifice for the benefit of his son Mm. yeah there's a freedom isn't there to reject him and it feels like there's a choice for this guy yeah so how how does the story turn around i mean obviously the son goes off, he spends all that money, there's a terrible famine. Take, take us through that part of the story. What, what would the ex- audience have expected to happen 
at that point when everything goes wrong for the sun compared to what does happen. Well, I guess it's interesting, isn't it, that the sun is almost trying to make a plan in his mind of how he can re-enter the father's presence. And something I read said it was a little bit like he was going to say to his dad, can I be an apprentice for you? Can I work almost as the lowest of the low in your um, on your farm? Because he knows actually that his father loves him and will try and help him out. But I guess, again, the shock here is in the response of the father and that it's not anything like the son expects. Yeah, the father does several things, doesn't he? He runs out to him, which is would have been very undignified for an old, wealthy landowner. Um, and then he embraces him, or like puts his, what does it, like put his head on his neck or something like that. <laughs> um, and just a lot of very tender affection, isn't it, on um, someone that has wronged him so much. Yeah, there's like a robe, there's a ring, uh, sandals. It's almost like he's restoring his son in every single way. He's not just forgiving him, but he's fully restoring him into the family and giving him a place of honour when really he deserved, yeah, a place of shame. And I guess the other thing, because it's such a community, you know, back then, Killing the fattened calf is like a massive community feast, isn't it? It's not like, mm. oh, we're going to have a roast dinner. It's we're going to celebrate with the whole community. And that's fascinating, isn't it? Again, for the sort of shame and honour of the father who has endured such a public humiliation from his son. And yet he's prepared to publicly restore him. And he has endured that rejected love, hasn't he? And is so lavish in his response when the son just even turns back towards him and like we're going to look at the older brother's reaction in a second but just up till this point in the story um i think we're meant to obviously with parables jesus told parables that were were, were meant to kind of have some kind of meaning to us and speak into the story of our own lives and experiences how how does this story speak to you guys about repentance and forgiveness and god and who he is and things like that Jesus knows our hearts, doesn't he? And I think Jesus knows the temptation of our hearts, like this son. When we've done something wrong, our first, I don't know why this is, but our first temptation is to try and hide that or to, um, we don't think God, naturally speaking, wants us back. And it's quite counterintuitive, isn't it, to how our, what our emotions will scream at us, that actually our father is so loving and gracious and kind and longs for us to turn back to him so he can lavish his kindness on us. But it, that's a fight. I, I find that a fight every time I mess up, that I've got to really preach to myself the truth of who God is. Mm. Yeah, like you want to you wanna go back to the father, like the younger son thought, like I'll go back and be his servant and work for, you know, just pay off all my debts and pay off all the wrong. Whereas like, he's just like, come to my arms and I'm going get, to give you this title of son. I'm going to give you, you know, a restoration into the family and I'm going to lavish upon you the fattened calf. And you're like, ah, I want to work for this. <laughs> you know? And he's like, no, I'm giving it to you for free. <laughs> Thinking about repentance, it's, it's funny, isn't it? I, I don't know about you, but I tend to term... I tend to kind of define God by how I 
would react and how I would do something. So in repentance, I, you know, repentance is coming to a point, isn't it? Um, the actual word means to turn back, doesn't it? And I need a Hermione here. Um, the word turn, you're right. To <laughs> turn. turn. It's all yeah, about turning. Turn. Yeah. So, change direction. To change direction. And it's it's like the sun needs to come to that point of changing direction. It's not like the the father in the story actually goes to the distant land to get him. Like, but it's the the father is looking for him, isn't he? And waiting for him to come to that moment of turning back to him. Again, like the father doesn't make him repent. I think sometimes I think, oh, God is, um, you know, God's forgiveness is like how I would forgive someone. Yeah, okay, someone's going to have to come crawling back to me. And, you know, if they're really sorry and, you know, (laughs) if they really say all the right things, then maybe I'll forgive them. And yet God instead, like he is watching for someone to come back to him and he is excessively loving towards them despite how, despite the hurt and basically that person saying, I wish you were dead. I just think, yeah, for, for me, it's just another amazing picture of how God is, his love and his forgiveness is so much bigger than I can imagine or manage myself. Like, am I like that with my husband? Am I like that with my children and my friends and people who've hurt me? Probably not. <laughs> um, it's definitely challenging to me. So thinking about the older son, because we've got to remember who the primary audience of this story is okay so there's pharisees and there's tax collectors and sinners let's talk about the older son what uh is going on with him how does he react what's driving his words and actions i think we're thinking he's mad yeah (laughs) yeah and it reflects how the the pharisees and scribes in the at the beginning of chapter 15 they they grumbled saying this man receives sinners and eats with them and so this grumbling is sort of what the the older brother is doing is me he, he's like oh why why is he receiving the sinner into the house mm. yeah it's really clever isn't it the way jesus speaks to the two groups that are there listening in such a beautiful story and actually shows how lost they both are um you know i think i've traditionally read this and seen the younger brother is the one that was lost, but the older brother's lost in his goodness, isn't he? He's lost in his good works. He's lost in his dutiful obedience. And he, it stops him from receiving the father's love just as strongly as the guy that left. Mm. Yeah, mm. he's he's almost already relating to the father as a servant and master relationship. You know, he's said to the father, you know, I've been serving you. I've never neglected a command of yours. And yet the father's saying to him, no, you're not my servant, you're my son. And how much more beautiful is that than trying to work and to, you know, he's, he's, he's reclassifying their relationship. The older brother's saying, you know, look at what I've been doing. And the father's like, no, look at who you are in relation to me. You are my child. He calls the older son my child. And he says that you have always been with me. And it's almost saying like the that the with me being mm. t- together, that's how important is that? How precious is that? Mm-hmm. 
And it's interesting, isn't it, that this, this son's humiliated the father as well by refusing to enter into the feast. I think mm. we, I miss that often, but actually that's a massive public humiliation as well, isn't it, that the father's throwing this big village feast and his elder son won't come in. And so mm. the, the father's response again to him is so, yeah, affectionate and warm and outrageously kind, isn't it, when he's publicly humiliated him. Mm. so how would this apply to the people who jesus was telling the parable to do you think yeah it's incredible that um the father is so affectionate towards the scribes and pharisees and he's wanting to call them in back to be reconciled with him he's wanting them to enter back into the family and yeah we're sort of left with that uncertainty to what they'll choose. So are you saying that the Pharisees kind of in the story, Jesus is kind of appealing to them through trying to help them to see themselves in the older son? Yes. Exactly. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess Jesus is saying really clearly, aren't there, that there's two ways to be lost. You can be lost mm. by making choices that move you away from God, which I guess we'd call today sort of self-discovery, you know, the sort of person that likes to do their own thing and be different um they need to be there we can see them or the from back then the sorry the tax collectors and the sinners or that you can be lost in moral conformity can't you and doing the right thing mm -hmm. like the scribes and the tax collectors were and I, yeah i was really struck that you know it's it's a long hard road back to the father isn't it from for both those sons and for both those groups of people and there's only one that we're sure in the story comes back we we don't oh. know what happens to the older brother do we we're not jesus leaves us hanging really as to whether he accepts the lavish welcome of the father or he doesn't and i think it's a real i find it I find it a real challenge to whether i accept the our new position as being his son as being a child as more of a blessing than the things that he can give us you know the, th the thing that the older brother asks is oh why didn't you let me have an animal so i could have a party with my friends you know is it's like asking for things rather than realizing that actually who we are with is much more important than what he can give us mm. yeah that's really helpful like really the desire behind both of the son's actions is for yeah their father to give them stuff like you were saying before and really the the father seeks relationship yeah, yeah something something that struck me is we can our good works can keep us from jesus can't they or keep us from the father's love because we mm. don't feel like we need it and mm. I think when we see the reality of our hearts and the motivation that is driving us it, which is to feel good about ourselves it's shocking isn't it that we need to repent often of our good our goodness because their motive isn't the father's love and to be in relationship with the father but it's just to feel good about ourselves and that mm. that motivation is so ugly isn't it to god's heart of love because that's mm. like yeah like we've said again and again he desires relationship with us doesn't he not goodness mm. yeah in this story, the son's expectation of the father, the, the younger son, and then the older son's expectation of the father, like, 
are probably because of their view of of him. Like, how do you think our views of God can make us us have wrong expectations of him or, or other people? I mean, I'm thinking people listening to this who this is their first kind of time reading through Luke or people preparing Bible studies for people who's this is their first time reading it. Like, how can our views of God or how have ours or others' views of God made us have wrong expectations of him? I think the, the, the younger son, he views God as someone that can, or views the father as someone that could give him stuff. Um, and then it seems like the older son is viewing him like a master and he's, yeah, a servant, like we said earlier on. And I think those views can be reflected um, in our own lives, how we relate to God. Sometimes we see him as someone that can give us stuff. Um, sometimes we see him as someone we're working for and we're like, look, I'm work- I've done this much. Can you give me this in return? But actually he's trying to change our view of him to remind us that actually that I want you to see our relationship like a father and son rather than this style of master servant. I think it's hard, isn't it, as well, though, because whatever your experience of your earthly father has been impacts Mm. your view of your heavenly father. And that's really hard for people, isn't it, who've had a really difficult relationship with an earthly father, that that, um, and and even if you have a great dad, humanly speaking, Mm. they're still Mm. not God, are they? And they still lose their temper or do have their bad moments. And so I think it's hard for us, isn't it, when um, Jesus uses illustrations that we think we understand. Oh, I know what a dad is but we, we place a human angle on that. And God mm. is just different in every way, isn't he? From even our best mm. experience of a father in that he's lavish and so forgiving. And yeah, just calls us into relationship. I, yeah, I was thinking a little bit this week about how so often we live like orphans, don't we? We, d- we don't trust our father's love. And it means mm. that we have sort of an orphan mentality um, when actually God's love is so consistent and reliable that we can rest as children rather than as orphans which is mm-hmm. so different in how we how we approach yeah the way a little child approaches their dad <coughs> i think is a really helpful picture isn't it of what god wants from us yeah i just think that it's helpful having stories like this to help us redefine what this father and son relationship looks like his mm. extravagant mercy love kindness and grace Mm. and i guess it's good to see isn't it like i was struck by some of the words in this story like distance like the son the younger son went to a distant country um and then he comes back like he was still a long way off and then his father saw him and then the elder brother he's distancing himself from his dad and both of those things are because of their wrong view of god who God is and what he's like. When we have preconceptions about who God is, it can distance us from him. Whereas he always wants to draw us in. Like we see it over and over again. He wants to draw people to himself to see who he truly is and what he's truly like. And then we get to feast with him. We get to be near him. He lavishes us. Like we, there's this picture in the story of this lavish, generous father. You know, even the servants have too much to eat the younger son says, like, that's the kind of father that he is. And I, yeah, I guess 
it ties into the big picture, doesn't it, of challenging our preconceptions, coming to stories like this and being like, who do I think God is? And how does that affect how I read this? Cool. It was great to be with you guys. And I'm looking forward to the next bit of Luke with you. Bye. Bye.